Are y'all ready for God's word? My goodness. Uh, I, I, want, I don't do this often. I, I don't know why, but just so you'll know, Christy's parents are joining us today. They're visiting with us in town to, to watch the kids. And it's fun. Our staff parents come. Omar's, your parents aren't here today, right? Okay. Omar's mom comes and parents come often, but she always comments online. So mom, if you're watching, you can again remind Omar that you're watching the sermon. But um, we, we laugh all the time about how it's so wonderful to see our parents come and, and worship with. I'm 43 and I still love seeing my parents and my in-laws uh, at church with us. So I'm glad to have them with us today talking about Genesis chapter 2, a relationship and how God designed man and woman. So I better get it right. Um, I, I want to let you know, as we talk about God's design in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, that there's a, there's a big purpose that we're looking at. And the big purpose is making sure that we have a, a proper understanding of Scripture. Boy, it is so easy to cut and paste three or four verses and make a theology that has absolutely no biblical foundation out of it. And, 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 and so easy to overhear things that do that same thing. I was having breakfast with a friend this week, and <clears throat> it's a place he frequents regularly. And so the, the gentleman came up to help us out, and, and, and the buddy, my buddy called him by name and started visiting with him. And, and we said, how can we pray for you today? We're just about to bless our food. And he said, man, I'm, I'm good. Just pray that I would be blessed. And, and I don't know why. He said, that's kind of said, well, what does blessed look like? What does that look like to be blessed? I want to play specific. How does that bless you? And, and, and he said, you know, I just love, you know, funding to be good, you know, money happen. Yeah. And I said, well, we could pray for you. And, um, and we start talking and I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no, 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 no. I went to a church in this location. The pastor's driving this $300,000 car and X, Y, and Z. I said, that's great. I drive a 2010 CRV with a ding in the back corner. Come on over, baby. Right? So, so we're just talking about that a little bit. And as we're talking, he says, <clears throat> listen, do you know that verse? This is really what I'm praying for me. Do you know that verse that says, have a vision, write it down, and, and carry it with you? And I thought, no. I don't know that verse. But I don't know where it wouldn't be found either. So I, I want you to know, what do I do? I pull out my phone and I Google it. And, and I find it-ish. And, and it's in Habakkuk. Been there lately. Here's the funny thing. I spent days in Habakkuk on my study break. And I read this passage and I said, oh, man, I would have never thought this was what you're talking about. I'm so sorry. He was sincere. He wasn't being ugly. He, it was an honest point for him. He wasn't trying to make up stuff by any stretch. And, and I said, you know what? Here's the crazy thing. And this is how God works. Right? He had just allowed me to spend time in Habakkuk, and I enjoyed it. I, I loved the Minor Prophets. But, but then, when this young man said that, and I Google Habakkuk chapter 2, and I read it, I said, man, let me tell you, when I, when I was in God's Word, I know how Habakkuk's working out. And Habakkuk, he's complaining to God about his situation. Like, he just can't believe what's going on. And, and, and the Lord is answering him. And the Lord answers, and he said, I will give you a vision, and I'll inscribe it, and you herald it to the nations. Vision, write it down, carry it out, right? Do you see how, the, do you see how it flips real easily? And I said, here's what I believe for you. And we started talking about some things that are going on in his life that are not for our public consumption. I said, I think the Lord had you asked that question so that he could share with you the meaning of that passage. 
which is God has a plan and a vision for your life. And he wants to write it on your heart in such a way that you will never forget it. And that he wants you to live by his word and by his vision. And then he said, oh, okay. And he walked away. I was like, that was such a powerful moment, God. About 20 minutes later, he came by. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, why do you want to be a pastor? Shut up. Sorry if that's a bad word in your home. But you know, and I get to share my whole testimony with him because he asked me for it. Church, when you and I are founded and grounded in the word because we are seeking and running hard after God, he will prepare you for everything he desires in your life. And so I just want you to know, when we dig into God's word, in, in public together, but in private, it's to draw you nearer to the Lord, and he will not waste it. You are not his soul in the game. His, his kingdom plan includes you, and it includes so many more. And so this morning, we walk through Genesis chapter 2. We're going to hit some stuff that's, that's a little bit deeper and harder. Genesis chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, was this 50,000-foot view of creation and how it worked. Genesis chapter 2 is not a completely different uh, story about creation. It's not another time. It's not another planet. It's not another guy's translation. It's, it's the boots on the ground. It's, it's the close-up story of what happened in creation, specifically that sixth day. And it, and so we're going to look at the creation, God's creation, his design of man and woman in relationship. And we'll find as we read through this passage that there's a plan and a process, but that, but that God culminates it and shows us this relationship was, was one that he brought together in union, what we call marriage today. And so there's, there's, a, there's a piece for that. And so we're going to be talking about God's design for, for man and woman a little bit generally, but mostly in a, a biblical marital relationship. And this is before the fall. And, and so you may say, I'm not called to be married right now. Listen, that sin has happened. And so Jesus said, hey, that's a hard road, but it, it's, not, it's not the wrong road. Paul would say, hey, listen, there are benefits towards the end of times if, if that's God's calling to do that. So this isn't to, to do that. I'm just telling you, this is just what God put second in the Bible as his design before the fall. Are y'all following with me? I'm not making it up. If you're unsure, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We'll start in verse 7, so we won't recap the, recap the whole story of creation. And I want to read with you a part of it. We'll read 7 all the way down through 9. Um, and then we'll, we'll do a little jumping to get back down to further than that. Uh, we'll read what I skipped today. We'll read next week, I promise. The Bible says this in verse 7. Then, after God done his work, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there put a man, put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight of in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, now here's the picture. We don't have to even make anything up. We don't have to read into it at all. God has been creating everything. He creates man, and when He creates man, He also continues the creation. Right? There's still everything is good, but it doesn't mean that life stood still. He creates a garden. He puts man in it and puts all the the good fruits and 
and everything in there. But, but here's what I want you to know. And this is man. We're not to a woman yet. All right? He's going to create woman as well on this day, and we'll get there. But, but when he creates man, this is what the Bible says. It says, he formed him from dust. Right? He formed the man, verse 7, from the dust of the ground. And formed means he shaped him. So our kids have Play-Doh challenge today. If you want, form a person. You'll know that's what God did. He formed him. And then he breathed life. Now this is huge. He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And he became a living creature. I, I don't want you and I to speed by the beauty of this. This word breathed, it, it means breathed. It's used other places in Scripture. In Job, it, it's used as wind moving too, right? It's the same thing. But Job talks about this word as a way of fanning a fire. And when I saw that, it just made me slow down on the creation and God's timing in man. Have you ever fanned a, fly, a fire that's just starting off? I mean, we have gas fires these days, so we don't fan them. But if you've ever been outside and fanned a fire, you know, do you know what happens? Or, or maybe if you're a fireworks person, you had the little punk, you know, a little thing that you, you blow on. What happens if you fan it too hard, too fast? It goes out, right? But what happens if you have this kind of steady, slow breath on it? What does it do? It encourages it. it. It lights this fire. Like it, it causes growth. And as I, as I picture God creating man, I just thought, I don't think God was like, here's my dust. Okay, next. He just move on. That, that he took time. We know we're made in his image, so we know there's time. That, that he just breathed. In this breath, I can see Adam coming to life and being reminded that it wasn't dust that made Adam different. But it was the fanning, the breath of the Lord filling him. That, that's where his image started to be revealed. And so he takes his time, and, and when he does that, he places Adam in the garden, and he tells Adam about the tree of life, and he tells Adam about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll come back to that next week. And then the next few verses, verse 10 through 17, talk about what's going on, where the garden is, and the consequences of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump that. We'll come back to it next week. But, but I want you to know is as much care as God took into making Adam on day six— as much care, as beautiful as a picture of was, he wasn't done creating on day six when he finished making Adam. It wasn't, it wasn't as if God made Adam and like a week later, it was after the, oh, eat, my bad. It, God didn't just come up. It was part of his creation process. Do you know that God doesn't call day six very good until the end of day six? Until he's made man and woman, it's not very good. There's extraordinary value that we're going to see God give us in Scripture about this perfect pairing of his design in relationships with a man and a woman. It's so good. Verse 18 through 20. We'll read it together, and I'll give you a couple of points to fill in the blank. Once you get that filled in, you can pay attention again. Amen? And we'll, we'll get going. The Bible says this. And then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of heaven, of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, to the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And before you start getting offended at God's words, we'll get there in a second. But I want to let you know what this shows us. In this, in this part of the creation story, it's just obvious to me that God did not make you for loneliness. He made you for fulfillment. God did not make you for loneliness. He made you for fulfillment. The beautiful thing is the picture that gives us of tomorrow is this, is that God's eternal plan for his people is relational by his design. This is before sin touched the ground. Before sin touched the ground, God's plan was for relationship with him and us and with us with one another. That's his, his overarching plan. But for today, we see that God didn't make us for loneliness. Now, I want you to know how obvious that is in Scripture. Verse 18, and this is participation grade here, right? So help me out here. In verse 18, who says there's not a helper fit for Adam? God says it. Now check this out. God says it. Now look down a little bit further. I think it's in verse 21. Excuse me, in verse, yeah, uh, 20, right? It says, but for Adam, there was not a helper, found a helper for him. Well, God has already proclaimed it in verse 18. Who just discovered it in verse 20? Adam. God doesn't rediscover it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I know we can relate with that. Because have you ever put the remote control down and then walked away and forgotten where you put it and rediscovered it? Praise God. Salvation doesn't work that way. Oh, I'm so sorry. Forgot about him. Let that guy in. <laughs> it's on me. It doesn't work that way. See, God's design was not for Adam to live in loneliness. It was for Adam to fulfill the purpose God had for him. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. What was his purpose? To bear the image of God. To have dominion over the earth. To rule as his ambassador, so to speak. To, to be his proclamation to all creation. And so, so this is what Adam's role is. God says, I have a plan for you and I want you to fulfill it. But by yourself, on an island, you're going to experience loneliness. Now, here's the fun thing. The Bible shows us that learning is not, our need for learning is not a result or a consequence of sin. This is interesting because this may start painting your view of eternity. Your need for learning isn't because sin caused you to be a dimwit. Here's why. Because what does God do? Through revelatory kindness, God says there's not a helper. He's done with Adam. There's not a helper suitable fit for him. I need to make him a helper. What does he do then? He then says, Adam, I want you to experience trying to fulfill my plan all by yourself. I want you to experience it. You're going to name all of the, the animals. 
You're, you're, you're going to go through this all by yourself. And while you're doing that, if you want to look for a better way to do that, I'm giving you permission. You find a helper if you, if you see one out there. But I want you to experience this. Could you imagine how long day six felt for Adam? I think it would have felt overwhelming. Now listen, my children's color books, it shows like four animals on that day showing up. And, and, and I don't know how many were there that day. I don't know what God put in the genetic, genetic code of, of, of different dogs to allow different breeds to happen. But I know that was part of his role. And he was looking for a helper the whole time. And he found none. God wanted Adam to understand that he needed help that was fit with him. I wonder if God wouldn't have done that. Now, this is supposition. If it would have given men a reason to belittle women. God showed Adam he had a need, and we'll come back to that. So that when he made woman it wasn't for what the world would tell us he made woman for god did not make us for loneliness he made us to fulfill his purpose do you know that picture of tomorrow is is god and the church do you know that scripture shows us that this is the picture for eternity you are in christ married in Revelations, the, 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 the idea of come to the table is blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Guess who invi who's invited? The bride. Listen to what Scripture says in Isaiah 6, 61. 61.10. says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Revelations, let us rejoice and exult. Give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb, and the bride has made herself ready. I want you to understand that tomorrow for all eternity, from the moment you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand that you were made for a completion. And in the church and in the bride, you learn that you are not alone. And scripture is full of example after example after example that eternity is about you and I fulfilling God's plan perfectly. And today is preparation for tomorrow. You were not made to be the lone superhero in this world. And God wants you to know you weren't made for loneliness. Now there's something else that's found in there and it's kind of our hot button stuff and we're gonna take a little time and slow down here just a little bit because I want you to see God's design. And I give you permission if I make anything up to come back to me afterwards. Look back again. Now at, at this same passage in, in verse 20 and I'll read it all the way down to 23. All right, now, now follow with me and you'll hear some repeat words. Verse 20 says this. The man gave names to all the livestock of the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought 
her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is my is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here's your lesson for today. You were made to fit, not to match. You were made to fit not to match. That will bleed over into eternity because in Christ we find the one who eternally completes us. You see the word, and in, in, in your Bible that you've grown up, it may say, found a helper suitable for him. It, the word fit, it literally means the opposite. Isn't that interesting? Some of you are like, oh, that makes so much sense. Married 50 years, I, I have it. This, this idea of, of fitting together means one that corresponds, not one is the same. And this is the, the most confusing part when we start looking at God's design for a relationship between a man and a woman. And, and honestly, I think this is how the word gets so distorted. Because you and I are, are meant to fit, not to match. Do you ever play that memory game growing up? You put all the square tiles, they're like, I think they're pinkish red. Y'all following me? And you flip it over, and what are you doing? You're trying to find the same, the match. You're trying to, you're trying to get that working. God didn't design our relationship for that. He designed a helper that fit, in other words, one another... They found a, a lock. They found one who was actually able to help fulfill, not their ideas, but God's idea. The word helper doesn't mean slave. It doesn't mean apprentice. It, it, it doesn't mean um, bonus relationship. The word helper most clearly is, is this idea, this picture of one who co-works to accomplish the goal. It, it's a picture of partnership, not a statement of lesser value. See, God knew that Adam needed someone that could fit with him so that together they could make this coordinated of effort, this God-honoring effort to complete and fulfill the will of God. That was God's plan. That was his design. We see that when in the church, when God says, you can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The, the mouth can't look at the feet. We, you, you can't say, I don't need the part. You need to fit with somebody. Now the world, we, we kind of switch that around and I'm not knocking it. Right? But we're looking for a match, aren't we? Isn't that what the world is preaching right now? Find your match. Find your perfect match. Listen, I don't want to be married to me. That was funnier than I thought it should have been. But, but you know what I'm saying? I need, I need God's design. I need God's plan. I am unable to fulfill his will for my life without following his plan by design. 
It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. And as we, we talk about it, I, I understand. I understand the arguments. I, I don't believe by a shadow. I don't, I don't think there's a, 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 an ounce of truth to the fact that God created Eve simply to accomplish procreation. If God can make sure that certain reptiles reproduce by himself themselves, I promise you, he's way more creative than that. Like, he was like, what do I do? Shoot, I guess just a woman. I had nothing else. How silly is that of God? That, that, would, that would be so belittling to him to stifle his creativity. He knew that to accomplish and to fulfill the plan and purpose in Adam's life, the task that he had given him, that by his design, it would take someone to fit, not to match. And Adam, oh, the way he receives it, I want you to think about this. God had shown him his need. God had shown him his, he didn't show him his want. Did you catch that? He showed him his, his need. If you look all the way over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it, it would say, listen, when, when God created Adam, and God created Eve, verse 9, Man, neither was man created for woman, but a woman for man. Now, if you've ever misused that verse, let me correct it for you right here and right now. Woman was created for man because God created man and knew he would have a need for a fit. So God created woman. It wasn't like Adam was playing poker with God someday and he lost and created a woman like, thank you, Lord, bring her in. I, I can't tell you how many biblical people that claim Christ pretend that that's the truth. Now, the world wants to distort it and say, well, I don't need a man, ladies, just on a heads up. I think that's where Satan gets in. I don't, I don't need this, this distortion of friendship. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a fit, it's a match. And there's not a need, it's a want. And it's not about his fulfillment, it's about whose? Mine. That's not God's design. But, but you see some roles start to pull in here. When Adam saw Eve, you know what he said? Biblically, this is the translation. Yes! That's his translation. And, 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 it, and it's, it's not this warped, ridiculous picture the world gives us. When your bride, if you're married, if you raise your hand if you're married in this room. Okay, good. Put your hands down. Men, you, you give permission to affirm this to your wife. When, the, you, when she was walking down the aisle, and if it was her father or grandfather, her father figure, whoever's walking her down the aisle to you when, you, when she was walking forward, you weren't like, about time, baby, get her down here. <laughs> did you say that? If you did, marriage counseling, David Martin's uh, got your back. <laughs> no! What were you doing? You were welling up with honor and the glory that a father is presenting this incredible fit for your life. And by some grace, you know with anticipation that this is the biggest blessing outside of salvation that you'll ever know. The Bible said that God created Eve and he walked her. It wasn't some silly presentation. 
It was God saying, I know you and I know your need and I created it so that you could know what your fit is. And the moment he, he saw her, he said, this at last. This is woman. And how he was asleep when God created him. The Bible said God took way more care. Women, you're not as dirty as men. He took way more care. He took a rib and he, and he formed woman. He fashioned is the biblical word. He fashioned women out of man. And I believe wholeheartedly it's a biblical truth that he took joy in revealing to man what he could not do on his own. By revealing to man what completion would look like in the flesh. He presented her to him. And Adam says, behold, this is woman, flesh, my flesh, bone, she's taken from me, made from me. Listen, we're gonna, we're gonna take a step, and if you wanna leave now, it's okay, it'll just be ugly. The Bible says that when Adam was naming the animals, that was part of his responsibility. I believe it's scripturally accurate that when Adam named and took the responsibility of naming his wife, he was saying, God, I take responsibility. I take, I, I see the worth. I, 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 I see the revelation of your plan and I take responsibility. For her. Why do I say that? Peter says, men, if you don't take care of your wife in an understanding way, that your prayers are stifled, that the Lord won't listen to them. Do you know he doesn't say that to women? Men, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way as you are responsible for doing, then you can pray all you want. But you are throwing up roadblocks to, to eternity, to heaven. Why? Because you have a responsibility, like it or not. I believe in that same moment, Eve, no, she didn't take responsibility for Adam, but she received her responsibility with him all day long. I don't think there's a second. I, I know how smart my wife is. Turn to your wife and say, baby, I lucked out with you. Right, you can do it right now. One, two, three. Baby, I lucked out with you. Not really lucked. It's God's design. We're talking about that. But, but listen, I don't believe for a second Eve was like, hey, why am I here? Just walking in the garden. I'll do what you want. I believe wholeheartedly, and we see it follow through in chapter three, that she knew why she was there. That she knew that she was fit with Adam. And so we, we see in that moment some responsibility in the sequence and the substance and the naming and the need. And, and, and we'll go there in a couple of, couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. And we'll talk more about our family relationship. But, but I believe wholeheartedly in that, that that responsibility role uses some of that word of submission in it. And and it's not this worldly garbage submission. I asked a, a friend I, if I could use their quote. I'd never heard someone say it before. And they said, I am not steak sauce to his steak. It's like, praise Jesus. Let me tell you why. Steak sauce is optional. Do you know why you need steak, on, steak sauce on a steak? Because someone cooked it poorly. If you cook a steak well, you don't put sauce on it. And if you put sauce on it at my house, I will pretend I'm gonna invite you back again, but I won't. <laughs> right? 
because there's a difference between a condiment and a compliment. Amen? Right? And, and so many people believe that God has created man to be responsible and to overbearingly tell women what to do. And that women, that submission means that you're a condiment. We could do it without you, but God, because he wants to be nice, has, has chosen to write you in. That's the dumbest thing I've heard in my life. That's the most unbiblical garbage that exists. Because here's the deal. If submission equals devaluation, then you cannot have a proper view of the Lord. Let me say that again. If submission means devaluation, then you do not have a proper view of the Lord. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 11. What does it say? Men, you're the head. I want you to understand, every man, Christ is your head. The head of a wife is her husband. Now check it out. This is, this is the theological bomb you need to hear. The head of Christ is God. So if submission equals devaluation, then Jesus Christ is not one with the Father. He's a demigod. He's a lesser being. If you or I live with that mindset, men, not only are your prayers hindered, but you may not be praying in the right direction. Because God's design for us was to fit. And that fit carries all the way to eternity. In Christ Jesus, we are made full. We are made complete. In the bride of Christ, we fit together. There's a, there's a style of completion. So I want you to know, I know there are a thousand unbiblical examples going on there. I know there are men and women with unintentional and intentional distortions of the difference between a match and a fit. Don't follow that. Just look to God's word and understand that there is way more value in a fit than a match and that God's design before the fall was perfect in this relationship. One day in eternity, we won't be married in heaven to each other, so to speak. I think I'll know wholeheartedly Christ, Christy was my wife. But the Bible says, I will become the bride to the groom. My marriage will be with the lamb. And it will be the most perfect. As a husband at times, let me tell you, I anticipate that day. Because then that responsibility is no longer on these shoulders. There are times I want to give it away. There are times I want to know another, I get it. And when you are complete in the presence of the Lord, you will give away that burden and Jesus Christ will bear it for you perfectly and you'll see it. But submission in the most God-honoring, beautiful, fulfilling way isn't that what every knee will bow and every tongue confess? Don't, don't you understand that eternity is filled with all of us in joyful submission? With a perfect groom? One that's, that, that knows the plan of God and, and, and lives to fulfill it? See, God didn't stop there with this excitement. 
He, he knew for sure, Adam, you weren't made for loneliness. You were made to fulfill my plan and find fulfillment in me. He knew Adam needed not a match, but a fit. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 24 and verse 25. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's your lesson for today. The Lord designed this fit to make a husband and wife uniquely one. And I want you to know, in Christ, we are uniquely and inseparably one with him. When God says, I've made them one flesh, what he's saying is, I've taken two and in their fitting have made new. That, that's, that's the picture. And, and here's why that's so important. In Christ Jesus, he has taken us and made us new. I don't know that the Trinity was on the, the writer's mind, but I know it was on the Lord. If I can understand how two become one, then man, I can anticipate the day when I will perfectly know three in one. I believe wholeheartedly this is why marriage is the number one hit job of the enemy. Wholeheartedly. Here's why. Because Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm returning. Jesus says, listen, a bride waits for his bridegroom. When she's ready, I'm bringing her in. Scripture says, I won't leave or forsake you. If, if, if the two in one on earth becomes not two in one in our mind, then that's a giant leap to saying your salvation is at risk of divorce as well. See, that's why when we find that, that fit that God reveals to us, I believe it wholeheartedly, that we are given a taste, taste on our tongue, on our lips, of what it will be like to be one, as Jesus prayed, with the Father forever. And if the enemy can deceive us into thinking that there are other options or other ways or that that word of God is not true, then he will want to take your mind off eternity. And God's design is a perfect pairing to fulfill his plan, to provide for completion and a fit for his people. And to absolutely allow us to glimpse what unity awaits us for eternity. I don't know if that's how you walked in here this morning. I don't know if that's your understanding. I know from my life and our family experiences that there have been people that I know and care deeply about that have abused God's word and sometimes unintentionally. But God values you and I more than that than to leave us in the darkness. He wants you and I to be aware of his design before the fall. Because here's what I know. Some of you in this room have been doubting your salvation. 
Let me, let me make it clear to you. If you have admitted that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you have believed that He is the Son of God, able to rescue you from sin's grasp, and you have confessed, you have given your life to His Lordship, let me tell you what. You are unequivocally, undivorceably saved because you have become new in Him. So you don't need to doubt. But there are others in this room who you have not known. You have not known that grace and that joy and that unique newness. Jesus, while you were still sinners, he died for you. Why? So that you who are broken could be made full eternally in him. And this morning, maybe you need to respond to that. And some of you, you may just need to lean over to your wife or husband and say, I love you, forgive me. Someone in here, you, you, you may need to go out and say, God, I need you to hit me over the head with your word. Because I'm telling you, the shaping of the world around us is the antithesis of Genesis 2. Whatever it is, we'll have our time of invitation and we want you to respond. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Your word is so good. It is so true. Lord, I, I think sometimes in devaluing the image of God that you have placed in us by redefining or recoloring it. Father God, we forget that you made each of us for fulfillment, but not personal fulfillment. But to find fulfillment in fulfilling your plan. And so we make our decisions about relationships based on personal want versus the need that you've put inside of us in order for us to be ambassadors. So Lord, let us deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow you today. Lord, would you be the restorer of marriages and of homes? Would you be the designer imprinting your, your thought and your word in our mind so that when we see distortion, we would know clearly the difference because of your word, not because of an explanation. Father God, if there are any in this room today that haven't tasted the unique oneness that you have shared with us in Christ Jesus today, would you allow them to respond? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.